Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You, a daily podcast that shines a light on the American justice system and its role in empowering the powerful to take from you. The justice system is the only branch of your government where an individual, rather than the collective, can make the system act for you. It puts power in the individual's hands, but it's broken and being used against you at a time when you need it most. Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You. I am Sonia Ebron, a co-founder at Courtroom 5. And I am Deborah Sloan, the other co-founder at Courtroom 5. Just a wonderful show lined up for you today. Uh, in a few moments, we'll speak with Nichelle, who goes by Nikki Perry. Uh, Nichelle is a law, the law library director and associate professor of law at the North Carolina Central University School of Law here in Durham, North Carolina. And I have been looking forward to this conversation for some time. So we'll get a chance to chat with her about the law school curriculum uh, and the future of law, uh, law school education, in particular, the integration of justice technology. Uh, into that education. So really looking forward to that. Before we get there, Deborah, what is on your mind today? I want to talk a little bit about uh, gen- gender parity in college admissions. Now the Supreme Court has eliminated what they see as, quote, race-based admission. Let's now talk about affirmative action for men. The number of men applying to college has been steadily dropping for 30 years, and people think it will start accelerating soon. But admissions officers in colleges They've dropped, although they've dropped the affirmative action for race, they they have not really, they're not even thinking about doing that for uh, men. So they reject women now at a higher rate, lots of lots of the, the preferred schools or high-end schools. Uh, they reject women at a higher rate than they reject men. Uh, in other words, men have a better chance of attending because there are fewer of them. Uh, given a male student and like if they had a male student and a female student with the same qualifications, they will select uh, and admit the male student and put the uh, female student on the wait list. My problem is with this is that nobody's really talking about that. Nobody's mad at that. Nobody's mad at gender parity. They're talking about uh, legacy admissions instead, which, you know, doesn't, anyway, that, <laughs> I, I won't even go into that, but they're talking about legacy admissions because because perhaps they don't want to talk about this issue, but why not talk about gender issues? It seems to be more on par with race-based affirmative action. So it should be just as bad, right? So, but anyway, as an, as an African-American, I'm like, okay, fine, but now let's, let's talk about some reparations. Okay, that's where I want to go with that. I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I understand the argument, at least, for the gender affirmative action. Obviously, I understand the argument for race-based affirmative action as well. But, um, you know, I think there are some interesting potential parallels to be made there. I think everybody uh, in a diverse environment does much better. That has been shown over and over and over again. So it's not simply race-based affirmative action is not simply a benefit to Black and Latino, you know, that sort of thing. It's a benefit to everybody, right? I mean, we're all here and we're nobody's going anywhere, right? That's the thing. And so, 
Yeah, I think there are some parallels to be made between those, but I'm with you. I want my money <laughs> as well. Okay, straight up, straight up. So fantastic. I, I appreciate you raising uh, that issue. At Courtroom 5, we believe the courts belong to the people, in particular to the people who use them. And we, the people, are coming to claim our courts. And so if you are in court without a lawyer or you need to sue someone and can't find a lawyer to represent you, Get yourself over to courtroom5.com. Give us a try today, and we hope to provide some relief for you there. At this time, it is my great pleasure to welcome onto the show Nikki Perry. Nichelle, Professor Perry, thank you so much for joining us. I've been wanting to chat with you uh, here for a long time. Before we get into your background, tell us about that beautiful first name of yours, Nichelle. It reminds <laughs> me of Nichelle Nichols uh, from Star Trek. And I don't remember the, don't recall the character's name uh, particular, but tell us about Nichelle. So you are correct. It comes from Star Trek. So Nichelle Nichols was a character who played Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, one of the first black female leads in the 60s and uh, 70s. My mother was a big Star Trek fan and uh, hence the name Nichelle. So Nichelle became very cumbersome when I was a teenager, I think what my freshman year of college and the, and so Nikki started sticking. And so Nikki from college forward uh, has been my nickname. Um, and she, my mother did approve of the name Nikki. So it was a good nickname. So that's fantastic. Right. Big, big ups to your mom there. Great, great <laughs> choice. So it, let, let me understand, you're, you're a lawyer, uh, but you're also the li- law library director and law libraries. I yeah, you know, I mean, that's a that's a big deal. Tell us how, first of all, what got you involved in being a lawyer, being interested in that and then becoming uh, interested in law libraries in particular? Yeah, so I wanted to be a lawyer my entire life, right? So I was five years old, uh, and my cousin, who was uh, worked for a big firm, was in law school when I was younger. So I followed, she, I emulated everything she did. So I went to law school and then realized that the practice of law was not for me, which a lot of people realize, and it's more prevalent now than it was when I went to law school. I quickly, you know, kind of, I was working in academia and I was the director of academic support and realized that I could either go get an LLM or, you know, master's of library science. And the library director then, Deborah Jeffries, was like, you should really consider just getting an MLS. Um, and, and it was the best move that I could ever make. It combined my love of research, my love of the law. Um, I still utilize my law degree. Um, I utilize my library degree. I work with students. I work with faculty. And so it's the, really the best of both worlds. I have loved it and thoroughly enjoyed my career in law librarianship uh, for the past ooh, 20 years. So, yeah. I love that. I, I You know, Deborah uh, taught librarians for many years. Um, so I'm not going to be able to keep her out of this conversation. I can tell already. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it, I mean, and don't don't discount the skill set that librarians bring to the table. I tell people all the time. Now I use my legal set, but don't discount what I learned as a 
investigator and as a researcher to bring it all together um, so that I have the best of both worlds. I, I couldn't I couldn't do it without my my library side. Yeah, it, it's a powerful combination, no doubt. And I've learned obviously a lot about librarians and the power of librarians uh, here at Courtroom Five. Let me ask you then. Let's talk about the uh, the law school curriculum. I have never gone to law school, um, but what what is it that you're preparing lawyers to do? You know, the, you know, we're pivoting just like everybody else. So, you know, I'm sure everyone's watched the Paper Chase or all these other shows where you get scared the bejesus off, and they do something called the Socratic method, which means that you know you get called on and you have to brief the case and go through and describe what the law is. Really, it's a memorization, knowledge of the law and knowing the law was really what law school is about, right? But you have to remember that law school is also a law is is a business, right? It's dealing with clients, it's dealing with opposing counsels and other people. So it, it's it's multifaceted, right? So the law is only one part. So as we move forward to the 21st century and the age of technology where technology is embedded in every single thing that we do, we as, as practitioners also have to pivot and um, incorporate and teach students how to practice law, right? So what do they do rather than just their baseline overview scholarship or knowledge of the law? How do they do it? How do they represent clients? How do they run their business, et cetera? So I believe that the you know, all everything that we're seeing in the world of pivoting, et cetera, law schools are pivoting as well. You know, so there is also something in 2026, we'll have something called the next gen bar. So the next gen bar is designed specifically to examine how students will represent clients and how they uh, think analytically. You know, so how will I represent this client, not just by regurgitating the law, but how will I be able to analyze and communicate and research with a client and provide them with the best representation possible? So exciting times. It it is. I agree with you as a non-lawyer, just watching the changes in the profession. It's really extraordinary. And so I know, you know, lawyers do lots of things, right? You have the, um, who was Trump's lawyer? I'm blanking on his name, Michael somebody. I don't. Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) That sort of of, uh, concierge lawyer with three clients for a long period, you know, all the way to uh, ambulance chasers, quote unquote, as as they're called. Michael Cohen. Uh, his name is. Yeah. There's just a wide range and very few lawyers actually find their way to the courthouse. Right. Most lawyers are doing estate planning or, you know, some other sort of representation that's outside of the court system traditionally. And so, you know, when you think about educating uh, lawyers, you have to think about all of the ways, I guess, that they are going to be um, working. They're going to be serving uh, clients and doing that sort of work. How do you, how does, how does law librarianship, I guess, factor into that? Because the law library has to be pretty broad as well, or, or does it? I think you're absolutely right. It has to be pretty broad. Um, and I also, you know, want to, my husband always tells me to, to calm down a little bit. I get a little excited about teaching and the um, researching, right? Because it, it is important. You know, if you don't know how to find the law or what the law is made up of, then you can't practice law, right? So I think that that is incredibly important um, to recognize and and utilize the law library as a base. Now, again, you know, 
with the advent of computers, everybody said the library was dead, right? But if you even take a look at public libraries and how public libraries have pivoted, right? You know, people said libraries were dead. Look at that pivot that that public libraries did and all the resources and services that public libraries now offer. You can't get a spot in the public library now. You know, it, it's the same, and it's the same with law librarianship. There are so many resources that are available to our faculty, students, the general public, right? You have to know as, as an information professional, I know where to get the best resources if I should pay for this, how much I should pay for it, if I can get, get it for free, you know, what content uh, is available on this platform versus what content is available on this platform and how they differ, and then even how to locate that information because it might not be readily apparent from just the naked eye. All plethora of things, right? And and the more technology that we throw on top of it, right, the more deeper it becomes. Um, and so, you know, don't discount that skill set that you will learn from legal research as a whole, but then also the technology component that goes with um, legal research. Extraordinary, extraordinary. And so I'm thinking about just the way we do things at, at Courtroom 5. And so Deborah has been largely responsible for the information architecture, right? Helping people find what they need to. It, it's, you know, it's been it's been critical and just really instructive for me over the years to see how she and her team have worked to make the content about the law that our customers need to better match what they're trying to do, what they're trying to get done, you know? And so it's extraordinary to see, to hear about how that is happening in the law uh, more directly there. Okay, fantastic. And so law school education obviously has had to evolve with the proliferation of, you know, just electronic resources and digitization of everything uh, and lots of law being practiced online uh, these days as, as well. You're right. integrating, uh, I know, lots of uh, software packages and platforms into uh, the law school curriculum there. Can you talk a bit about, about what's happening? Wow. I mean, so think about the practice of law and how what it's based on. We just talked that it's, he- it's tech heavy, right? So now there are platforms available for everything uh, under the sun, right? So there's how to manage your um, how to manage your practice, right? There's how to how to uh, manage your billing within your practice. There's how to um, how to do your legal research. There's how to uh, create and draft documents. Uh, so all of these are great platforms that you know all attorneys should co- uh, leave law school being aware that there are a wide variety of resources and platforms available for them to help them in assisting them with the practice of law. You have to know that they exist. And then you also have to have a little bit of, you know, how they're based and organized. Um, and, and But I think awareness is half the battle, right? Just being aware that there is a system out there um, that can help you and being able to tap into that as needed. Absolutely, absolutely. And so much of the um, much of many of the tools that are um, in the legal tech sort of space, obviously are are along uh, along the path you described there, designed for lawyers to be more efficient in their practices and so forth. 
And obviously that has some access to justice implications, right? The better lawyers can work, you know, within their firms, the more they have uh, to be able to serve their clients and give pro bono and, and all of that. And then there's justice tech in particular. Um, this is direct to consumer work that uh, Courtroom 5 and, and many other companies are, are, are doing. Uh, and so talk a bit about the potential integration of that sort of technology into the law school education. Again, you know, it speaks volumes as to awareness. Um, and I am, I mean, I, again, I was going to tell you, calm down. I am so over the moon with the ability to have, you know, this justice to technology integrated or the ability to utilize this. So first and foremost, it's giving the power back to the people, right? So law is complex. Um, I'm a lawyer and it's still complex for me um, to be able to read and uh, and to uh, sift through it. So being able to have these platforms, which will uh, put the power back into the hands of the people, right? So that, that's one thing, right? And, uh, and the goal of any lawyer, like good or bad, should be should be to serve people and to seek justice, right? So what you want is you don't want wrongs to people. When people have been wronged in any way, shape, or form, you want to combat that, right? So the justice to technology platforms such as Courtroom 5 give people the ability to correct those wrongs. I'm a lawyer. I also have to eat, though, right? So... <laughs> so I want to correct is wrong, right? But I also have to feed my family, even if it's just, you know, uh, grilled chicken breasts and, and, and mashed potatoes every night, right? It's, it's, your, it's your baseline. So how do, we, how do we balance the two, right? I think this is where justice technology actually is of incredible benefit because, again, we're giving the power back to the people, but then we're also allowing the people who have a strong knowledge base in the area to help right? And to marry. So in my opinion, it opens the door for incredible partnerships, right? Incredible ways for attorneys to help and uh, incredible ways for attorneys to also strengthen their pockets and eat, right? You still have to eat. You can still make money by allowing people to access these justice to technology platforms. That is such an enlightened perspective, in my opinion. We do hear some sectors of the bar concerned, as you indicated, about justice tech, um, and that is legal tech geared to consumers, to the legal consumer, taking money away, taking money out of the pockets of lawyers, right? And our communication to that segment of uh, concern is that these are folks that can't afford a lawyer. They can't pay you. They can't pay you anyway. And so we're not taking money away, we are enabling you to serve people in a different way, right? Absolutely. Uh, through this Absolutely. justice tech. And so I'm really excited at the uh, prospect of you all integrating some of this technology into uh, the educational system. I know you all are still figuring out exactly how that's going to work. And so uh, we'll, we'll have some other conversations about that. But where do you see you know, for, for students, law students who do have access to this technology, how do you see that impacting uh, the way they practice the law? Oh, boy. I, again, for a number of reasons, I think it, awareness is one, right? So having, a, um, having awareness such that as they practice law, they can allow, um, they can refer people to this justice uh, law technology, right? I can't help you, but have you considered this? Or I can help you within this. So again, this limited scope, right? So again, beneficial for both parties. But in order to, to get there, 
we have to have awareness, right? So, you know, integrating it into your into the classroom or in the curriculum of law school makes the most sense, right? Because if, again, the ultimate goal of lawyers is to serve serve people and to help people, right? Then we need to be able to help people, all people, right? And be able to help them in a manner, um, in all sorts of different manners. So I need to be aware that there is this program out there that I can refer you to, even help you with, right? So that you can resolve your issue if I can't resolve it for you or in some way, shape or form. So um, getting students to recognize that these types of platforms are out there and then, you know, exposing them to it, allowing them to use it and be aware of it such that it can be beneficial when they move on to the practice of law. Extraordinary. You know, I know as a, an urban uh, university, uh, historically, you know, North Carolina Central has had to uh, be innovative in all sorts of ways um, to, to survive and to serve a student base that is going into urban communities uh, and, and just trying to keep, maintain those communities and serve people as best you can. And it's so important and encouraging to me that the hometown law school here, if you will, uh, is thinking in these very innovative ways. I'm just so excited that we're able to uh, to work with you and, and support your students and faculty uh, in this way. So Nikki, let me share your website with our viewers. Where else can people learn more about the work going on at NCCU Law and about you? Definitely the website is there first and foremost. Uh, you can also find the law library's uh, homepage is on the main uh, law school website. Um, there is also the our, the Legal Eagle uh, podcast that our professors at our law school do focusing on issues uh, specifically related to civil rights and administrative justice and serving people. So the Legal Eagle podcast is on WNCU. So be sure to take to take a listen to that. Um, just plugging Professor Joyner and Professor Dawson. We do have a Law and Technology Policy Center that always is looking to serve the public by technology innovations and being creative and serving not only um, serving the community and the te- technology integrations that are coming. You know, are, they're here and more are coming. So we're excited to be evolving as the North Carolina's HBCU Law School um, and serving its population and serving and fighting for it as it was created for civil rights. So um, be sure to to follow us and and check out all the wonderful things that North, North Carolina Central Law School is doing. You bet. You bet. That is so exciting. I'm glad to have almost a front row seat uh, at some of these some of these changes. So really, really excited to be able to work with you. Thank you so much, Nikki, for joining us. And we will uh, talk again soon. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful to be here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Librarians rock. Librarians do rock. (laughs) I, I am. I am humble. I am humble. That's for sure. You know, good, good, good. Fantastic. Well, do you want to take us on home here? Sure. Today's quiz. True or false, in litigation, all disputes are resolved through a trial or judge's ruling. Well, that is false. In litigation, all disputes are not resolved through a trial or judge's ruling. Some of them are resolved through arbitration, others through mediation, and then sometimes there can be a party-to-party settlement. And so those things work. That probably happens more often than than the uh, a judge's ruling or a jury's ruling. So that is it for today.
That's absolutely right. I, I love true or false questions because you just <laughs> toss a coin and, you know, you're going to have a good, yeah, yeah, you got to have, yeah, exactly. But no, I mean, it is important. I think most, many people don't recognize that the vast majority of civil claims, um, you know, are resolved in settlement. So it's really important to, uh, to point that out. I, I like that we've focused on lately on mediators and arbitrators and um, that area of law because people don't know about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, in my opinion, it's a fundamental part. If you find yourself in court, you know, try to get out as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. But that's that's why we're here for sure. All right. Fantastic. Well, great uh, show today. Thank you to Nikki Perry and all the uh, good folks at North Carolina Central. Just, you know, I've got some uh, legacy. Both my parents were students there and, um, you know, just just love uh, the, the university and everything it does. And so great to have uh, her on the show. That's all we've got for you today. Thanks as always for joining us and we will see you next time. Are you feeling beleaguered, angry, or afraid? As if things are spinning out of control and you're powerless to stop them? It's easy to just let things slide and hope they don't get worse. But they often do get worse. The thing is, You're not powerless. Our courts belong to us. And their purpose is to give power to the powerless. Don't let your grievances pile up without redressing them. You can handle this in court. Or if someone takes you to court, you can take them to school.